Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years, along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside. And it's a big good morning to everybody around this beautiful country of ours. I uh, hope you've been keeping safe and well, winning a line, enjoying life or whatever you might be doing. I'll tell you what, you could be travelling, camping, riding a bike right now, powering at the gym or just taking it easy and sitting back. So welcome to our Step Outside podcast. Now today we're talking to Alan Blake. He was the boss of BIA Australia, which is a boating industry association. So he's got a fair knowledge of vessels and, of course, how the industry works, one of the best in the business. But he recently spent five months along the east coast of Queensland touring in his boat, going in and out of harbours, out to the reefs. Some reefs he ventured 350 nautical miles off the coast. What a long way. And, of course, with that come some good old tales. Good morning to you, Blakey. Morning, Paul. Good morning. I mean, yeah, well, some of the purists might say I'm not a yachty because I've got a power boat. <laughs> the purist. <laughs> you are a boaty, but you know you love to get around and uh, and check out this beautiful country of ours. In fact, you've just recently returned back from Queensland to New South Wales, mate. Um, how's your travels, pal? Spectacular. We, we went away. It was going to be a five week trip, and that lockdown happened. It ended up becoming five months. Yeah, wow. Five I'm months. lucky. I've got. Yeah, my wife is like, but I, but I hijacked it for five months. <laughs> I can't see you home at any time. Mate, I know someone who's apparently, they've been over to uh, New Zealand. They went over there when the bubbles opened in June and they've just come back. So, you know, they literally got, they went for 10 days and they're still there. But, you know, they'll retire. So they just hired a camper van and thought, oh, we'll go and see the country anyway. Mate. Some of your trials and tribulations of being up and down the East Coast uh, on your own boat. Let's start with your, your boat. She's an amazing rig. Uh, she's had some fantastic history and, uh, and revamp. Just tell everybody what, what sort of rig she is, mate. Well, it's a 65-year-old ex-pilot cutter built in Sydney uh, in 1956 and uh, called Galara. She's a rig- she worked as a pilot boat in Sydney, Botany, in Newcastle until 1979. And it's a a planked boat, spotted gum, um, all the hulls bolted to go alongside ships. And it was designed in the olden days. It got replaced in 79. It was given then to Marine Rescue. He used it for a number of years, and unfortunately the maintenance wasn't uh, kept up on it. So they uh, decommissioned her in 85. And then the gentleman bought her in 94, and he had two shipwrights full-time for nine years rebuilding it. Jeez. Big process to do it and convert it across to a passage maker. So she part cruise boat, um, part liverboard, go and cruise three bedrooms, two bathrooms, good galley, steer from upstairs, downstairs, uh, weighs 68 tonnes, 20 metres long. So it's a, it's a big lump of a boat. And it's maybe a little bit big for cruising the coast because we, we've got a depth of 2.4 metres and you have to be very careful. A lot of places you go to, the 2.4 metres is right on the uh, the border of being able to get into some places and not being able to get in there. Yeah, that's exactly right, particularly at, uh, at low water. And a lot of those places that you'd, you'd head into, the mapping can change uh, in, in the way that the sand can change quite quickly without the maps being updated. Oh, it did. Uh, well, the um, Sandy Straits we came down, for instance, on the inside of Fraser, 
at one spot we had to stop because there just wasn't enough water. We had to wait a couple of hours for tide so we could get through, and we only had 300 mil clearance under the keel. Yeah, well, that's uh, <laughs> mate, that's a that's a prickly situation to be in. How do you um, how do you go if you touch the bottom? I guess the keel hits. You just reverse well, out. If it's sand, it's not too bad. No. Um, sand, she'll go through and, and take it easy, but you've got to be very careful if there's rocks and mm. and coral around. You don't want to damage that, but you don't want to damage the boat either. So no. it's a lot of planning and what you do and, and how it goes. It was the same the inland route from Morton Bay down to Gold Coast. Now, what do you call that, Paul? What's the actual name for it? Mate, the, uh, the South Morton, Southern Morton Bay region? That's yeah, through, so, yeah, so, but you go through Pumicone Passage is the, um, yes. yeah, so not Pumicone, that's up towards Bribe. So you've got uh, Kniper Passage. Yes. And yeah. you've also got the Powerline Passage, which is, runs through past yeah, Cabbage Tree. Yeah, mm. yeah Powerline Passage and uh, that area down past Land Miles and things like that. Had to be very careful through there. And the biggest problem around there was running in to um, crab pots. There was thousands <laughs> of crab pots everywhere. <laughs> Mate, once you get down to Coomery, you know you're okay because they've got 250-foot super yachts that, that motor up this <laughs> tiny mud creek <laughs> to the Gold Coast City Marina. And, and I still, for the life of me, sit back and think, and everyone here, I'll, I'll just listen, you know, explain to you, is we have this river called the Coomera River. There's North Arm, South Arm. And it, yes. it winds like a snake. It is got it's got it's got near on U turns. Could put a roundabout on this thing. Yet the Gold Coast City Marina is situated three quarters of the way up this stretch, so probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 kilometers up. And it's uh, they, they take up the super yachts. And recently they did have a I believe it was a, about an eighty meter uh, vessel that went up there. It was one of the big ones that did a refit on it. And uh, to the point that, you know, when they filled it up, it took 160,000 litres of diesel to give you an idea of how much. It had a, a Eurocopter on the back deck. This thing is massive. But, um, you know, they just redredged the creek and uh, people, you know, they take their super yachts up there. What a sight for those who live on the uh, on the banks of that particular area. It'd be an incredible sight. It is an, it is an interesting bit of water, though, but I think the case was the land was cheap in the first place. There's a bit of water there. Let's build something and let's <laughs> make it able for the boats to get up there. So where the other places, like down in the Broadwater and some of the others, it was, hey, we've got this great waterway. Let's build the houses and, and infrastructure here. I think it was the opposite thing at Kimura. I think so too, mate. Sugarcane farmland back in those days is, uh, certainly uh, yes. went for a penny. Mate, um, crabbing. On today's show of Step Outside with Paul Burt, we, we did some crabbing, some mud crabbing. And I know you're a, a, a great uh, you know seafood connoisseur. When it comes to mud crabs, what's your favourite dish? Uh, look, it's a cross between um, uh, black pepper or garlic. Singapore is nice, but uh, you can do some other versions with it as well. We just did it on the bank there with the old uh, gas two-ring burner and uh, put a pot on, put some water in it, a bit of salt, and, and boiled them up and had them just basically as they were. That's Not- what you that's your- have to get carried away cooking them because you, you're flavour the meat. That's right, exactly. And you know, it depends on where you are. Like when you're up north there, Blakey, and say you're around Princess Charlotte Bay or somewhere like that, is that there's a lot of mud creeks, but there's a lot of sand banks, and the mud crabs yes. literally walk on those sand banks. And the crabs, they they turn a little bit of a bluey colour, but they're still full of meat. They're still dark underneath. You can tell they're dark underneath, and you can feel underneath the carapace to the how full they are. But they're, they're a different colour and they're a much sweeter mud crab. And that's a good thing for people out there who are going to a seafood shop to buy their crabs is to check out the weight to make sure that they're, they're full of meat, not water. But at the same time, if you get those uh, that bluey coloured muddy that's full, you'll find the meat texture and the taste is a lot more superior than the, uh, the mud crab itself that's further upstream that is just dark and brown and dirty and got, you know, 
crustaceans living off the top of it. But um, I don't know. Did you find that? Have you ever caught those muddies at all there, Blakey? Yes, you do. You notice them, even the ones you buy in Sydney at a lot of the restaurants in the markets, you can tell the area they came from because the colour, well, they've got that bluey-green tinge mm. or they've got the brown tinge to them. But what I always look for with mud crabs, um, I know pressing underneath uh, near the second back leg is going to tell you if they're full or not, mm. but also look at the teeth on the, on the nippers because if the teeth are sharp, mm. it's a new shell. Oh. They're not going to have a great teeth in them. When the teeth are worn, they're nearly, nearly ready to molt and they've got plenty of meat in them. They have a nipper? And they have a, a grabber on their claws. Primary and a secondary, yes, yeah. Correct. And their claws grow back too, don't they, if they knock them off? Yes. That's why you find so many um, female one, one nipper crabs in Queensland. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, no, the see- doing the wrong thing by that. They shouldn't do it. But it's amazing how many you catch you've only got one nipper. You guys can keep your uh, jennies in New South Wales. There are different laws to different states, obviously. So I do advise for anyone out there who's listening who wants to go mud crabbing, make sure you just brush up on, on all of your seafood, whether it's fish or crustaceans, bag limits, size yes, limits. It does change and differ from everywhere. Along with your bait catching methods, we can use cast nets. New South Wales cannot. No, if, if you've got one in possession down here, you can be uh, fined for it. Is that? Not even, you're just in possession. Just watching, I'm, I'm down in the harbour at the moment, mm. and there's a big tug going past the marina, and he's towing a submersible, like a little sub. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Jesus, the sights you see. There's, where are you at the moment, mate? Uh, the boat lives in uh, City Boathouse Marina in uh, Roselle Bay, yep. which is really in, in the middle of Sydney. Um, I'm uh, crow fly. I'm 800 metres from the Anzac Bridge. Yep. In the same bay as the city fish market. So we're only five minutes out of the city. So it's really a city apartment while it's here. And it's a four-night no-wash bay, so it's lovely. Oh, mate, that sounds absolutely great. Mate, tell me about Galara is the name. Has it been the same name? She had that since the first day back, uh, you know, in, the, in 1960 or 50 when she was made? 1956, it was one of three G-class pilot vessels built, and Galara is actually Aboriginal for moonlight. Ah, interesting. Yes, so they were way ahead of their time in 1956. <laughs> but that was the original name. I wouldn't change the name. That's not the right thing to do in a boat. No. But, uh, Tradition. No, absolutely, mate. I think if you do change a name of a boat, because there are people who you know get a boat there and someone's put some ungodly name of a sticker on the side of it, and you you want to rip it off and, and put your own little bit of branding on it. What do you do, mate? Do you um you've got to do some sort of a, a I guess a tradition? Do you have to smack a bottle of beer or, or champagne over the nose or something? <laughs> I haven't tried. I'm not game enough to. It's too much bad luck. <laughs> I'm not superstitious. I'm not going to press the issue. <laughs> Galara it is. <laughs> that's it. That's what she says, that. <laughs> Mate, tell that's me. It's also registered on the shipping too. I leave it there. Oh, very good. Mate, tell me about your trip up to uh, to Queensland. Mate, did you come across any um, hairy moments that sticks to your mind that you go, well, you know, would have changed things a little bit different here or maybe the weather came in a little bit, uh, you know, quicker than one would have anticipated? Oh, look, it wasn't with the... Heading up to Bundaberg, uh, I took uh, my son and a couple of mates, Batty, who you know, and another yep. fellow, and um, we did it in four and a half days direct from Sydney to Bundaberg. It got a bit ordinary that uh, one night going past the Gold Coast, there was a big storm on, but it wasn't too bad, a bit of lightning around. But uh, the most dangerous one we had was travelling from, um, I think it was Stormers to Marion, and uh, it was a Saturday evening, and I was in a bit of a rally with 21 other boats at the time. And uh, I said to the crew, because there, we couldn't see much, but there's lighting and there's thunder everywhere and it's blowing 25 knots. Yeah. 
and uh, this lightning strikes around. I said, well, the thing I'm happy about is we've got 19 lightning rods around us because we had 19 yachts with us. And and one of the lightning rods worked. One of the blokes got hit, unfortunately. Wow. Actually, just, just fixed his boat. It was right alongside of something, but it blew all the electronics to bits on the boat. Wow. Is, is we had that... a three-year-old boat, a 48-foot um, Granger, yeah. and even like your main winches and things like that with thermal overloads, it just blew those to bits and everything just started working and going crazy. And he was lucky he didn't have anything on his main winches because they would have tried to tear things to pieces. So you have to be careful out there. Mate, uh, is, there, is there a way around it at all there, Blakey, that you, um, you have lightning rods on your boat, but is there a way around it for us you know, guys with a fishing boat that if you get hit out there in the ocean, what happens? Well, you want to have some manual backup. That's the thing. But the problem is you can't stop it. Some people put different plates down, different things like that. But modern electronics are so fine now that they just won't cop that sort of power surge. So you're going to blow it. So if you've got a backup iPad, that's why you want a manual compass. You need some backup equipment there hmm. in case the worst goes wrong. Hopefully you'll never use it. You know, we put two extra anchors on board the boats. We have U-Bits, cat white offshore racing, uh, first aid equipment. We put a lot of spares in the boat, and thankfully I never had to use them. But if I didn't have them there and something went wrong, what do you do when you're 350 miles off the coast? Yeah, there's not a lot you can do. Fortunately, <laughs> for, fortunately you've got you know you got you got a lot of the other boats with you. What happened to that guy in the uh, in the forty or forty five foot Granger, mate? Did he end up turning around or did he keep going? No, no, no. He, um, they jury rigged a lot of stuff. Peter Sayer, who was with us, set up some potentiometers because he had Yanmars on with electronic controls. Yeah. So they set up a few things for that. You know, someone had a radio, someone had a sounder. So there's all sorts of spares came from everywhere yeah. to help them through, get rid of the rest of the rally. Wow. Uh, all on a limited schedule, um, but yeah. yet all worked Thankfully, no one was injured. That was the main thing. Yeah, mate, exactly right. Because it, it is a scary moment that if you're out on a boat, a fishing boat, and you've got your aerials up. And I was out there at Wreck Reef, uh, very similar to the time you were up there around Samaras, I believe it was. And um, the storms coming through, the actual the fishing rods were singing. I've never heard of it before. I've heard of it happening. But we're on the on the dories, and uh, we're actually we're in your boat, the grey uh, uh, polycraft, from, yes. you know, from New Zealand, whatever it was. What 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 are they called? They're, they're not a polycraft. Smart, they're, uh, smart wave. Smart wave. Yeah, yeah the smart. smart wave. We're in the grey one, and anyway, man, the, the, the rod started singing, and this massive front was coming through, and there was lightning. You know, it was still about ten k's away, and the fishing was going crazy, and the mothership was about I don't know, probably ten k's away as well. So we're in the middle of the storm in the boat. And uh, the rods just started humming. And I'm thinking, holy yes. Jesus. So we, we quickly laid them down on the deck. Then the aerial started humming. So we quickly laid that down on the deck. And, of course, I'm six foot four. I'm the tallest next person. So I lay down on the deck. <laughs> I'm thinking, who's, who's driving this thing? So anyway, we, we, we ventured, uh, we ventured uh, back towards the mothership and uh, got on there and, and, and stayed safe. But, mate, uh, you know, that, that moment, if you don't know anything about it, which I had no clue, you, it, you actually get quite scared. Yes, yeah. yeah. Actually, you talk about singing rods and reels. Yeah. I've got some ATC reels, and they've actually got cutaways in, in the spools, and in they gave a 20 knots, they sing to me. Is that right? It's quite amazing, yeah. It actually sing to you. I'll be so, uh, Didn't know that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Bit of history. <laughs> because Maybe. I was sitting at, sitting at the back deck with Peter and Michelle Sayer, and the wind came up. <laughs> What's that noise we can hear around here? <laughs> Rod sitting out in the rod holes as it was, put them away, and we lost our singing. We did a bit of diving or snorkeling up there as well around the uh, around the museum. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, museum. 
Museum of Underwater Art, John Durrell Reef, which is about oh, 40 miles um, northeast of Townsville and about 30 miles east of Henshinbrook. Wow, it's a long and way out. It, it, it is. Uh, there's a charter boat runs out each day from Townsville and it picks up at Magnetic Island. Yeah. And uh, it runs out there and you can snorkel or dive out there. Uh, it's it's just amazing. A fella had this vision inside this um, reef area and he's built like a, a chapel down there and there's statues down there. There's like a garden made up. And it's just an amazing thing to go and see. And, you know, it gets a couple of hundred people a day out there. Look, at plus all the charter boats, you've just got to go there because there's some of the uh, bombies around there has got a uh, whole lots of fish too. Is it in a green zone? No. Oh, okay, cool. Mate, I guess... one of the, one of the, one of the, that's what I must say about Queensland, New South Wales to some extent. How hard is it to know what all these different zoning plans are and what goes on? You, know, you travel 60 miles and you go through five different zones. Mate, it is difficult. I think you've just got to keep an eye on your charts. And, and if you're up to date with new uh, technology, as you would be, of course, when it comes to uh, electronics like your garments and those charts, as long as you've got the right you know, navionics or anything on that, is it shows you where different um, zones are that you can and cannot go through. You can't go, go through some of the zones even with a fishing line with a hook on it, regardless That's of it right. being in your boat. You've got to, I guess, de-hook everything. But if you get caught, it's a, there's a lot of money up for stake. And, of course, they do aerial surveillance. We've been out there with the aerial surveillance mm-hmm. teams flying above you. And, of course, um, they also put cameras on some of the reefs as well. But they've also got, in some of those aircraft that are flying around, they've got long-range cameras. They can pick up what you're doing from a couple of miles away. So don't think, oh, I'll wait till I get here and I'll pull the lines in. That doesn't work. <laughs> You're a pilot yeah. yourself too, mate. I believe that you um, you get around a bit in the air. That's correct. Yes, mate. Yeah. How, how do you how do you go getting? Um, I mean, is that a scary moment flying? You know, weather coming in, storms, or does that help you no. get a bit of tailwind, or do you go away around it? No, no. I mean, we, you tend to stay away from um, thunderstorms. Yeah, thunderstorms and icings are two major problems. Right. Um, other than that, there's not that much that'll cause you too much grief if you're instrument flying. If you're visual flying, you've got to rely on being able to see things. So it's it's a well, the best way to say it, if you've got time to spare, go by air. Okay. Well that's 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 <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but it was the same as cruising. You know, we looked at the, the forecast. We had it was a I'll, I'll tell you a little story out of uh, we were at um, Cape Morton on the way back south. Yep. And uh, dropped anchor for the night. It'd been a bit ordinary out of the June today. And I got a call from a mate who's um, from down south. Yeah. And he said, Oh, Blakey, I believe you're up near where we are. I said, Well, where are you? And he said, oh, I'm at Bribey Island with the marina. I said, What are you doing in Queensland? Because he comes from the ACT. Yeah. He said, Oh, I'm running a, a boaty boat, just bought a second hand boat. They want to run it down to Hobart. I said, oh, Okay. He said, So we're going around the outside tomorrow down to South Pole, get fuel, and we'll head off to Hobart. Do you have the weather forecast tomorrow? Oh, yeah, it's not too bad at all. I'm going the inland passage. I'm not going out of the front tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, no, it's all right. I said, okay, no worries. So we've gone down the inland passage, and about five in the afternoon, I rang him. He said, how are you going? He said, oh, yeah, we're good with the Marine Gold Coast fueling up. I said, oh, when do you leave? He said, oh, I'm going home. I'm not going to boat anymore. He said, no, not for well, the prudent thing is do the right thing. If you think it's going to be bad, don't go or have a plan B. Absolutely. And, the, and not knowing the boat that you're going on, like obviously if yeah, he's doing it, he, he didn't have a, he had no clue about it. No. 
None whatsoever. Wow. He, so tried you... to bl- he, tr- he tried to blame it on the vasectomy he had. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's something I couldn't do. That's something is, is jump on a boat. I get, mate, we get asked a lot for people, hey, come out for a fish with us. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great, but nah, always busy, you know. But reality is, I don't know if I want to go on someone else's boat that you'd have no idea about. If it's a charter boat, you're going to have a bit of an idea because AMS are really keep a, a, a firm grip on things these days and the yes. boats have got to be up to speed, up to scratch. You know, everything's got to be up, up within regulation. Whereas a general private boat, you could go and jump on someone's boat and they've got a 1985 Chrysler. And I don't want to go out on that. And what do you do when you turn up? You look around and you say, hey, mate, you know, your bait sucks and your boat's ugly. I'm not coming out with yeah. you. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, you can't. That's one, thing, that's one thing with an aircraft. They have a much stricter uh, maintenance regime. So you've got a maintenance release every year that comes out. I would say, no, what's been done and what's going on. So you've got a bit more security going on that. But you're exactly right with the boat. And especially to go and buy something, you don't know the history, what's happened to it, what goes on. It just... It's fraught with danger, put it that way. Mate, it is. And uh, particularly with the imports as well, because that's another thing I want to touch base with you on, is that uh, import boats can be a a bit of a a curly one as well, because you don't know what you're purchasing. You don't know whether the boat's been through hell and back, whether it's got wood rot in it. You're buying something sight unseen, so to speak. You're going through photos. I'll tell you what, you have a look at a real estate photos and you can make a a small tiny house look like a mansion. But, you know, the the, the boat turns up and, you know, you've done your dough, possibly. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of issues about 10 years ago with that when they had those floods over in America. Mm. There was a lot of boats sold that came to Australia at that stage that had been through floods and you don't know about it. Mm. So you've got to be very careful. Also, Americans have different wiring because they run a different voltage. Mm. Um, if you bring something in that's got gas compliance on, you've got to get gas certified on it. Mm. So there's a whole range of things that, you know, potentially can come unstuck with. Mm. And uh, I don't know of anyone who does any pre-purchase inspections over there and warrants them, so... I bought a Glacier Bay in and uh, from Florida, and mate, it was the it was the it was quite a rush. I'll give you the drum, and uh, and I spoke to the guy several times at the dealership, and the boat it needed some work, but I had a trailer built over there, and the trailer the guy, I hired a guy who had no idea who he was. He <laughs> he towed the trailer four hundred miles right yeah <laughs> to the boatyard at Fort Myers in Florida, picked it up, picked up the boat. Then drove it six hundred miles up the east coast to to where he had to get to uh, to Savannah or somewhere I think it was, and then it went into yeah. a, a dockyard where it was pesticide cleaned and blah, blah, and it went onto a roll on roll off ship, of which it then turned up in Brisbane three months later. I drove up and picked this thing up and it was huge. I had a two hundred series cruiser and this thing was um, it dwarfed it. It was big and I went, geez, it's a big boat. Anyway, I undid the, uh, the the glad wrap off it when I got home and uh, mate, there was a couple of issues there with the. Um, with the you know, all the switches, it, 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 I was checking out to see if everything worked. So I parked this thing on the street out the front, and I had no. It was Mother's Day. I remember Mother's Day clearly, and everyone had their cars parked across the road. Anyway, I'm flicking the switches. I'm going, yeah, the lights work. Yeah, this works. Yeah, that's great. Blah blah blah. I'm, I'm in there like a kid in a candy store, and I flick this switch, and I can hear this. I'm thinking, what the hell's that? Turn it off. Turn it back on. Well, let's just say that the uh, the toilet hadn't been emptied when I went out the back. It was oh, flushing dear. it straight over the <laughs> neighbours' cars. <laughs> and I've looked and I've gone, oh, my God. <laughs> so, oh, so I had to get down there with a hose and hose off the neighbours' cars before they came out. But anyway, mate, uh, it was one of those things that you just don't know what you're going to buy. But uh, would I do it again? The answer is no. No. The other thing to be careful of, too, they have different towing uh, requirements overseas and different legal widths. 
Yeah. So in Australia, it's 2.5 metres, which is 8 feet 2 inches in old terms. Yeah. Overseas, it's 8 foot 6 inches or 2.5 9. Mm. So if you, and if, if the trailer's over 2.5, they won't register it. Yeah, well. It's uh, mm. special yeah. permits. And the same with the boat. If the boat's over 2.5, you're supposed to have lights and flags. And we've all seen the big trucks and the cranes driving down the road with these lights and flags and things like that. Yes. You've got to have those. And there's special requirements when you're allowed to tow when you're not allowed to tow. And the problem arises, people say, oh, it's right, no one worry about it. Well, when they worry about it, and this is straight from the insurance companies, they'll take your premium. Yeah. But it's up to you as the consumer to comply with the statutory requirements. So if you've got a, a boat that's over width or a trailer that's over width, and it's a contributing factor to, to an accident, they say, sorry, insurance is null and void. Yeah, well. You have to be very careful. And you could imagine, you know, if you're towing an over width boat and if an accident does occur, it's not going to be a small accident. You know, no, that's you, right. you, you've got something that's going to be a couple of ton below you or behind you. Yeah, things aren't going to be, uh, you know, five hundred bucks. They're not going to be your your your, your premium payout. There's going to be a, a full decom, you know, fifty or sixty grand sort of an accident or more. Um, in the unfortunate instance, someone gets hurt. Yeah, that's where the money goes right through the roof. And if you've got no insurance, you could lose your house and everything. Yeah, it's just not worth it, is it really? No, no, stay away from that one. Mate, um, your trip's back down south. Uh, you're in Sydney now. Obviously, things have lifted. How's life, um, you know, I guess getting back to normal now or normality as it is these days? Uh, basically, it is back to normal. We had a great trip coming south. It was just Anna and myself. And uh, we stopped at um, uh, Bundaberg on the way up, Port Keppel Bay Marina, Bundaberg, um, Night the Gold Coast. Uh, Yambra Luca, it's a nice part of the world. Yeah, nice. The world. Then we came down to Balna. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very nice. The marina down there is nice. And, and very shallow, but that's a problem. Mm. Uh, Coffs Harbour, we stayed in the outer harbour there. Port Macquarie had a couple of nights here. We had a little steering issue we had to fix up. Uh, and we did get a big storm between Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie. That's when we got trashed a couple of weeks ago with that hail. Yes. So uh, that was an interesting day on the, on the water. <laughs> then... Um, <laughs> then down there we stayed coastal and then went in the Hawkesbury and actually the worst weather we got was from the Hawkesbury back home we had uh, four to five metre seas yeah wow because it does get quite rough down there when you get the when you see the the ferries crossing from Manly across the bay it, it, yeah. that, that, that's that's really big I mean that bay is that ocean swell there Blakey or is that more just yeah, wind swell that, well no it's normally from the south east or east and it comes in between south head and north head and that can be very lovely there but, you know, we had four to five, but it wasn't an angry four to five. It was 12 and a half seconds between the peaks type of thing. Okay. So she never really got the deck wet. It was just up and down type of thing. But you don't want to be beam onto it. You want to be nose into it. That's right. Was there much wind on top of that? Uh, 15 knots. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's enough to give it a little bit of a chop on there, obviously. Yeah. The worst wind we got, we were at um, South Stonehaven, I think they call it, uh, just on the outside of Hook Island. That's right, yeah. And... Uh, one night there, we got 46 knots across the deck. Oh, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a yeah. lot of wind. I had 43 last weekend, I think I mentioned to you, at uh, Harvey Bay, and it was yeah. – I have never been in such a, a seriously bad bay chop. It wasn't – there's no swell, but it was wind against current, and it just stood up and it was getting on dark, and it was just ugly. There's a lot of shallow banks around from Moon Point to Urangan, and, you know, you just – everything stands up and the thing's rolling off the top and it's just ugly. But as soon as you get above that 30 to 40 knot mark, it, it really is a, a game changer. A lot of the ocean 
becomes just a whiteout where it just rips the tops off the waves. Yes, and you've got to be very careful what you set up and how you do. I must say, Marine Safety Queensland do a great job with the infrastructure with the uh, public moorings up and down the coast. It's a bit of a rush of an afternoon for people to grab the moorings, and you've got to look at your sizes and how long you're allowed to stay there. But we were on a mooring that was rated up to 35 metres that night, so I wasn't concerned in the slightest with a 20-metre boat that I was going to have any problems. So it's nice to have that confidence when you've got a storm like that around. Yeah, I've got to say, Queensland Maritime, they, they do a they do a fantastic job. They really do. And the fisheries up here are great as well. Like they're really starting to, you know, they've been cracking down on a lot of uh, the illegal activities for quite some time, which is awesome. But it also just gives you a bit of a safety factor when you are out there on the waterways, knowing that you've got the good backup and, of course, the good, um, you know, the good boat ramps, good parking. Everything's pretty cool. I think they just need to put a little bit more... Uh, you know, cleaning stations at the ramps there for anglers and uh, a little bit more of a wash down at the area because it is, parking is premium here on the Gold Coast, for example, and also southeast Queensland in general. But when you pull your boat out, it would be nice to have that, uh, a couple of hoses set up there for people to uh, to, to flush your engines, wash their boats, whatever it might be, before yeah. taking back home because you can't go to a car wash place and wash your, you know, your boat down. It's too hard to get in and out. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure you only got pulled out by fisheries once up there. Okay. Um, we're, actually, we're on anchor at John Brewer Reef. Mm. And they turned up in this little five-metre rib. And I'm like, where'd you come from, Sean? Main boat's about five miles away. You couldn't see it. Yeah. But uh, oh, nice. I invited my board. I said, no, thanks. All right, fine. Where are you from? We're doing what's going on. And she just explained a couple of things. I think it was a yellow zone there, actually. Right. She said, yeah, yellow zone, which is um, single hook. Yep. I think it is from memory. Yep. But, uh, yeah, lovely people. Nothing wrong. No dramas. So don't be afraid of the fisheries, people. If you're doing the right thing, it's like the maritime. You're not going to get in trouble. That's exactly right. But just comply. Yeah, so yeah, but just be nice to them and I'd normally be nice to you. Absolutely. Don't run the other way. That's it. No. Thanks very much for your time there, Blakey. Greatly appreciated. It's Alan Blake there from Blake's Marine. Talking about his recent travels up and down the east coast of Queensland, spending five months on the water. Not a bad gig. Hey, take it easy, everybody. May your rod bend often. And of course, we'll see you next week right here on the Step Outside podcast and of course on our Step Outside with Paul Bird show. Or you can catch up on 7 Plus, or you can check it out every Saturday and Sunday. Take it easy, everyone. Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years, along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside.